You awake? Yeah. I just want you to know I hate you. So is my dad. Please go away. Let me sleep for the love of God! Why don't you tell me a story? How do you sleep at night? I don't want to hang out with a bunch of wannabe corporate sellouts. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a podcast that exists to set straight some rumors and innuendos you might hear about your favorite bands and your favorite albums. Uh, my name is Brian. And I'm Murdoch. And we get together on a regular basis to talk about things that you might send us or tell us about or that we hear about. A lot of times we have a very specific story to talk about, and we do have a specific story to talk about today, but this story is going to lead to a larger conversation about something that when I started researching this story, I happened upon, which is that what the elements involved in this tale uh, actually reoccur throughout rock history, and it's really interesting and a little morbid. Are you are you up for me getting a little morbid and talking about death today? Yeah, man. Do you know what I have to watch on Netflix and Amazon on a regular basis if I'm supposed to stay in the game here in this uh in this household yeah man sure oh is your wife a big true crime person yeah she she went to like the vip party of the whatever the 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 podcast those those ladies that are real famous and yeah. they, they came and had the, she went to like their vip like after party and everything dead rock stars are a category uh of fascination all their own right obviously Death is a fascinating and terrifying obsession and part of the human condition, regardless of who you were or are, or what songs you wrote or what bands you were in. Uh, but when you put that layer of fame and beliefs about preternatural gifts and spirits and all that kind of stuff on top of everything, it gets more complicated. So we've talked about this subject a little bit before in terms of how people react to a rock star's death. If you remember the Graham Parsons episode. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, when someone gets lit on fire on purpose, I mean, well, I mean, and that story was so interesting because people had different views on what they were supposed to do and what he, like, what what he would have wanted, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, today, I want to talk about the ashes of dead rock stars. <laughs> I, I know it's very specific, but this started actually as an email from Lydia, who listens to Chicago, right? So she sends us a note, and she says, "What do you guys know about this rumor that I heard that Keith Richards once snorted the ashes of his dead father?" Yeah, absolutely, that's true. So when I jumped in to do the research what I found out was that the lens gets a lot wider because when you start to read about Keith, you start to pull up all these other stories of weird things people have done with famous people's ashes, which I didn't know was a thing. So let's start here. Do you have an opinion on cremation? Do you want to be cremated? Yes, I do want to be cremated and I've got a rock and roll cremation story I'll throw in later as a bonus. Oh, good. Sure. Good, good, good. So I came across a lot of stories of famous rockers and specifically the consumption of their ashes and who might have been consuming them, etc. Uh, it's so weird. But before we dive into that, Okay, I think we need to do, we always go and do a little bit of history and background, right? I think we need to do a little history on cremation. Like, I didn't know a whole lot. This is not what you thought you were signing up for today, is it? I, I did go to a Warhol exhibit here locally with a 10-year-old, um, you know, and there's no one in the museum at all. It's not even like it's socially distanced. There's just no one there but us. And so we, we did the Warhol and a couple different things. And then we got down to... Um, I forget which part of the museum is, but we were basically looking at a crematorium. It was like, it, that's like what it was. There was like a oh, whole weird. portion about that. And I was, it was just kind of weird looking at it. And I was like, I, I'm going to bail, man. I'm going to go back to wherever the, <laughs> the the Campbell's soup cans I was going to say, are. we're going to look at giant soup cans. Please excuse me. Yeah. I want to look at pop art. Yeah. So yeah. cremation dates from at least 17,000 years ago. Uh, from what I could find here. And uh, basically, 
I mean, the study of rituals around death is a whole other podcast series, which is not why we're here. Um, and it needs to be hosted by somebody other than us, probably. But it is a rich text. And you learn very quickly the preferred body disposal method has varied throughout periods of history in areas of the world, right? Um, Hinduism actively promotes cremation, always has, for the most part. Uh, it was common in, in ancient Greece and Rome. But in the Middle Ages in Europe, it becomes a crime. And it also becomes a crime that is punishable by death if there's any sort of like hedonistic ritual around it. So huh. it takes until the 1870s in Europe for it to be considered again. And in one of them is people are starting to loosen their ties a little bit to religion because any, I mean, and not just pointing at one, but pretty much any religion has a lot of thoughts around death, right? And so right. a lot of them think, you know, burning a body like that is not something that would, would be good for the afterlife, etc. But the other thing that makes this start to happen again is the technology gets good, right? Like we find this throughout history and through different industries. It's like a lot of times progress doesn't happen for a long time because there isn't an efficient way to do it. And uh, once, you know, think probably... It was around this time that the thing you saw in the bottom of the art museum was made, right? And so when they start to be able to do this and do it cleanly, they start to realize also that, like, oh, it probably really helps with um, space and diseases and all sorts of things that you can just knock out by getting the fire really hot. Yeah, yeah. And eventually it becomes like the, you know, McDonald's, you know. It smells really good in the neighborhood where the crematorium is. Well, I'm just saying, like, you can get them in and out, you know, you're able to... Move the bodies. Well, one thing that I read said that for a long time, the reason people didn't like it was there was a thought that once you burned it and it went into the air, it basically could make people sick. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like just, I think, like a little bit like actual sick, but also like spiritual juju sick, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and so it's like in the air and you can't get away from it. And I don't know if you can relate to the feeling of being hunted by something that's in the air that you can't see. But I can imagine how at a certain time in history that would have really, uh, that really would have messed with people. Yeah, 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 sure. So for the next hundred years, it's accepted kind of to different degrees in most places, and it, it gets it's still in a messy relationship with religious belief. But starting in the 60s, cremations become more common uh, than burial in a lot of countries. Uh, United States becomes one of them. Um, I think that we really tipped that scale just a few years ago, that cremation actually became more popular than, than burial uh, back in like maybe 2016. Um, in the UK, they've been burning people wow. for a long time. 1968 is when that happened. Um, but, I mean, the factors that lead to this are it's cheaper. And I actually did read something that said that there was a big uptick in cremations after the 2008 recession because it was just so much cheaper. That's so crazy. I, I don't remember exactly when I decided that I wanted to be cremated, but it was a long time ago, man. Yeah, I mean, we went through a death in the family a little bit after the 2008 recession, and the cost was a factor. I mean, I remember that whole conversation, and, and when you start to price that out, that's a real thing. I mean, yeah. it, and, you know, it depends on what you feel about the remains, the physical remains and the spiritual remains of a person and how they're connected. But, I mean, it, you know, if you're just looking from a, hey, I'm left behind and I have bills to pay perspective, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you get to? Hey, do you get to up your life insurance policy? Do you do that? You mean because I'm almost forty? Why are you asking me that? In general, uh, I just had the option to do it this year, and I thought, well, I'm definitely going to up my life insurance policy just in case. 
what what <laughs> i feel like you're framing me for something right now it's like i he was told on a podcast that his friend had new life insurance and now he's a number one suspect it's like am i a beneficiary on that as as podcast host best friend like how does that work I'm that guy that cuts across the square to talk to Bill Murray in, in Groundhog Day. No, I just... No, I just Ned. His name's just, Ned. Ned. Ned Ryerson. Ned Ryerson. I, I wanted, yeah. I just... I saw and I was like, you know, I probably should... I probably should have more at this, even though I, I want to be cremated. So I don't want to have funeral cost. I don't. I want to have a closed casket, open bar scenario. That's I like what that. I that's what, that's what it'll be on the invitations. I will make sure that if I am still kicking when you go, I will talk to all important fo- folks in your life and make sure that that is what is on the invitation. That it like is in ACDC font and it just says closed casket, open bar, Murdoch. Yeah. <laughs> it does seem like an appropriate way to celebrate you. It will sit around and tell a bunch of ridiculous stories because that's. Seems like the only the only way. Okay, so yeah. what does all this have to Burn do? Infected, burning people on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. So what's this have to do? Like, where does this come into play with rock and roll, right? I, I think part of the reason, and some of this is speculation, that you start to see these stories of cremation and ashes and that sort of thing is that there is this mysticism that surrounds rock and roll for a lot of people, especially certain eras of rock and roll. But there's an obvious tie-in with being able to let a spirit take a ride in the wind, right? Plus, it's common in most cases that there is this idea that survivors can take the ashes to a place of meaning, right? Like, you can't just bury somebody in the ocean, really. I mean, at least legally you can't. But you could sprinkle them there, and nobody's going to say anything, right? And so they get kind of the burial at sea, quote-unquote, because they love the ocean or whatever. I mean, you see this throughout rock. So John Lennon sprinkled in Central Park. Did you know that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Do you ever go to Strawberry Fields? uh, No, I haven't. They put that later and said, like, this is roughly where we think his ashes landed. (laughs) Like they did yeah, it, and yeah. then they came back and built a monument. Um, yeah, they just have the they have the strawberry fields is like almost perpendicular to a block, like seventy seven, right, in Central Park West or whatever. So that doesn't necessarily mean that's where the ashes are. That's just where they have the the really nice little sidewalk. Now, another great example of this that you you probably do know about is Cliff Burton, uh, the member of Metallica that died in the bus crash. So, I don't know. I don't know anything about his ashes. So they sprinkled him around Maxwell's Ranch in California because it was just a place he liked to hang out. And so they did a whole thing where the members of Metallica, friends and family, got together and they, you know, had a kind of ad hoc ceremony. And then they d- dropped it there and all feel good about it, or as good as you can. Now there's more traditional stories like this, right? So Amy Winehouse always kind of talked about her grandmother, had a tattoo of her grandmother, and she requested to be combined with her grandmother which happened, supposedly. Um, So there's, like, an extra-large urn, I guess, that has two people in it. Uh, Laura Laura Nairo, because not every episode we get to talk about Laura Nairo on this show, uh, she did the same thing, intermixed with her partner and her dog under a tree in her yard in Connecticut. I actually want to talk, like, the main focal point here to kick us off and this conversation is about keith richards this all started because in 2007 he has this he did like this is fairly recent right i mean keith richards has been a player in rock and roll for so long so to be like yeah just 13 years ago but he gives this interview and i do think at a certain point in his career right he's like given all these interviews like what's left to say he's just an old dude playing the same songs over and over and uh he does have a new album at this time or something i think and so he's like giving some interview to enemy and to kick up the coverage he just 
drops this story in passing about how he snorted his dad's ashes. <laughs> <laughs> the snorting of your father's ashes, which I, it is true. Mm. You did, in fact, do it. I ingested my ancestor, yes. And, and it's actually really, like, when you hear that, it sounds devious, right? Like, so we talked, we talked recently on the show about Ozzy Osbourne and about all these people who just kind of got pushed into being considered, like, satanic or were or playing. I mean, Black Sabbath, the whole thing was, we're going we're gonna to be horror movies for the ears, right? And, and so there was always a little bit of theater. And so when you hear that, you think theatrically that Keith Richards was doing something like crazy. Here's the story that he has clarified, which I think is hilarious. But as I took the lid off the box fine bits of my dad flew onto the table, you know, like powder, you know. And I can't, honestly, I could not resist. I just scooped him up there, took out a straw, and said, see you, Dad. So, like, this story cracks me up for a lot of reasons. One, it does seem a little bit like Keith was looking for something that was going to get him you know, get get people 13 years later to write a podcast and be like, hey, is this real? What is this? Um, you know, trying to put something out there that's new and is going to get him extra pages in the press. Um, but I mean, when I hear Keith Richards, of all people, tell the story, I'm like, well, yeah. Like, this is a guy who his whole life has just been putting things up his nose. He's like a toddler. You just run around and shove it up your nose. Why would you not do that if you saw a white powdery substance on your kitchen table that you dropped? And there's a there was an article I saw him. It was like, on Gannett papers, so it was like USA Today and like every Gannett paper in the country probably ran it. And the headline, the byline was really that like Keith was at home uh, this summer, you know, the garden was growing and he watched he watched the garden grow. <laughs> and like that, that really is, that's, that is a half-baked, barely even a story. And they made it and he was just saying like, I didn't have anything to do and I was sitting around <laughs> And I watched them actually grow, and I was thinking, man, like summer, he, he, summertime must be awesome. He's he's given up all his good stories, and now, yeah, that's it. That's all he's got is like I've watched some rotabagas, and it was crazy. It, the people have asked, like this is also speaking of the British music press, this is ridiculous. There have since been stories that have run in the time in between now and then, where people have asked him like. Oh, you know, you said this in this article however many years ago. Now, are you going to tell your daughters to do the same thing to your ashes? And, like, first of all, what a stupid question. Second of all... Sure. Yeah, that's exactly what he said. He's like, yeah, I'll give him the spoon. I'll give him the spoon, bloody. You know, it's like, what do you expect him to say? Of course he's going to up the ante like that. But I do really like this story because it goes from sounding crazy to like, it basically really sounds like when he explains it that he was like, well, crap, I dropped him. I guess I'll just see what happens if I do this. It's not unreasonable. I mean, it's much Um, more like when a kid eats his boogers. Like, you know what I mean? Like, hey, I found this thing. I wonder what it tastes like. Like, that that's what this story sounds like when you actually hear it spelled out. It's, uh, it's super gross. So okay, so this is the starting point. But when I, when I started to look into this for Lydia, I, what I found was that there's all these other stories that when you start to put ashes and rock stars and, and refer, you know, you read something about Keith Richards, it'll be like, well, and then a couple years later, this happened or that happened. And so all these other things come to the surface and a lot of them I had never heard about. Now there is one that, that I had heard about that involves ashes being smoked. 
do, do you know who I'm talking about? No, 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 I've never heard these stories. Okay, so so that's Tupac. Okay, you, you've never heard this? No, no. So someone smoked Tupac's ashes. So there's a song called Black Jesus, and in it he says, "When I die, smoke my ashes." And the group that he played with was called Outlaws, or the Outlaws. And they say, now this is from an actual interview, quote, yes, it's definitely true. Had a little memorial for him with his mom and his family. We had hit the beach. We threw in a lot of stuff he liked. Weed, chicken wings, orange soda. He loved all that kind of stuff. And we wanted to give him our own farewell. And if you listen to Black Jesus, he says, last wishes, smoke my ashes. And that was a request that he had. Now, how serious was he about it? We took it serious. Look, it's great because I did find an article that was like, if this really happened, what are the health ramifications? If this, if this is happening every so often in the world of rock and roll, it's like how much, how much of the ashes? So, like, are you just doing? Are you just doing like a little dab of it? Right. Great if you're question. Doing a dab of it. That's fine. But like, if you're just smoking the ashes, like that seems like that's a bad, just a real bad idea. I, I think most of what you see when these stories surface is that people are using the term trace trace amounts right so i don't think it's very much it's not like you're tasting it or whatever probably it's more of the the what it symbolizes um and so so here here's what they say in terms of one time human ash joint (laughs) uh if you did it once and it was trace amounts it's very unlikely to be dangerous um and this is like this article i found there's a guy at a New York City-based respiratory physician named Dr. Clifford Bassett, who is quoted in this story. He says, Smoking any material that's not regulated is what we would call an unknown danger. It always increases your risk of complications, right? Unknown danger, yeah. Um, It does make me laugh, though, again, that, like, the music press sometimes, this is where we land, right? It's like, let's call... (laughs) Can you imagine being, the, being Dr. Cliff Bassett and you get this call in your office? And, and, and being like, and saying, Susan, hold my calls. <laughs> There's no Susan here. Uh, yeah. uh, what's that? Uh, oh, was, uh, never mind. I was watching a show the other day where they were doing a, uh, a bit where the guy kept trying to like use the intercom on his desk and he just kept hitting the stapler. That's what, that's what I'm thinking of. Uh, Susan, hold my calls. Um, so... There's there's more of these, though, right? So those are the two most famous ones. Like, I kind of heard the Keith Richards thing and the Tupac thing before. All right, hit me with these other two. I've got three. Okay, and, and ready? One, one of them, one is a little more obscure, and that's where we'll go first. That's Do you, do you know the name Stiv Bators? Yes, sure. He was the uh, uh, sonic reducer. Yeah, he was in the Dead Boys. He was the singer of the Dead Boys. The Dead Boys were from Cleveland, Ohio. Shout out Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but they're not in it. But they should be. No, they they are. Oh, are they good? There's a there's a room for Cleveland, and it has the Dead Boys, um, Trent Reznor's on the wall, uh, Alan Freed. Right on. I guess you know. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so go ahead. A fun fun fact that I also learned during this uh, research is that there is a movie. Um, the name of which I am forgetting, but they came out a few years ago about CBGB and yeah. called CBGB. I, 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 well, there's a couple and I can't remember which one it is, but in one of them, 
Stiv is a character, and he is played by Justin Bartha, who is the you know the most known for being the lead guy in The Hangover. So that's fun. Um, so yeah. Stiv was hit by a car in ninety, nineteen ninety, and so he he doesn't die on the scene. He gets taken to the hospital. He gets there. This is the most punk rock reaction to getting hit by a car, and he gets bored, and he decides he's going to leave because he's like, nobody's seeing me. I I just got hit by a car. I'm sitting in the ER. I'm leaving. Um, he basically goes home and dies in his sleep, right? So there was this story that floated around, like, in his mythology. I mean, I just, like, kind of at the time that he wanted to be cremated and then spread over Jim Morrison's grave. So interesting. It was always said that that happened. Um, but then <laughs> there is one director's commentary of the film polyester have you ever seen this have you ever seen the movie polyester yeah and and i've seen a i've seen like a thing with a q a after it and stuff too okay so it's john waters for those that don't know and baders is actually in in the movie very briefly so this is before he dies but john waters says in passing in that director's commentary that bader's girlfriend confessed to him that she snorted part of his ashes so that she could feel close to him oh wow that's far out yeah well and it's so funny because it's just john waters dropping it in a director's commentary it's like not even like a thing it's just he's like oh yeah caroline told me that she's you know she snorted him up he's got a he's got a great book um that that came out not too long ago um, and he's he's really fascinating to listen to. He's such an interesting guy. You're talking about John Waters. Yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I do love the Dead Boys. Um, oh, Sonic Producers, one of the greats, greatest of all yeah. times. Um, okay, so here we're going to move into a space where I'm really interested to know if you know anything about this because this is one of your, what I call Murdoch's money areas, which are a thing where I will call you and be like, Hey, did you know this about such and such a band? And you'll be like, dude, not only do I know that, but here is a small book on all the other things surrounding that. Right. So you do that with super drag. You do that with most eighties hair bands and you definitely do that with Nirvana. Um, so this is a story about Nirvana. Do you know about Kurt Cobain's ashes? Uh, yeah, I remember it sucked. Uh, the whole, how it was going to go down, but, so there, I there's, I, I don't remember now where they're at. Well, everybody thought Courtney Love had them. So this was fairly recently. It's in the last like ten years, like 2008 ish, twelve years. So Courtney Love has them. They're reported stolen. The timeline on this is a little murky. They're reported stolen at some point. Like they break in and take other stuff from her house, and she says they also took the urn or they, his ashes or whatever. She was probably doing something weird with it, and they took that. And so then it pops up that there is this woman who is a performance artist of sorts who's from Australia. Her name's Natasha Stelmach. And you can look this up. She's got a full website and a lot of stuff that she's still working on and doing. She claimed to have acquired his ashes. And I actually have, this is actually the press release from the event 
So this event was going to be it was going to happen in 08 or 09, and this in in Germany, I believe. And this is the press release. Australian-born Natasha Stelmach claims to have acquired the ashes of Nirvana frontman Kurt Cobain. Now she's transformed the grunge star's remains into an installation titled "Set Me Free" that investigates suicide and the power of desecration. With this work, Stelmach joins a number of artists to use human remains as a medium. Danish artist Marco Everesiti plans to feed death row inmate Gene Haythorne to goldfish. What? Okay. Stelmach's work comprises a quote-unquote death cycle of five pieces. The first, a suicide contemplation, which is a sound piece, uh, written and read by the artist. It was recorded under a specifically pressed record and is played on a vintage record player. This is some real art school stuff. Yeah. Um... The six-minute poetic meditation on death's proximity ends with the word gone. Near-death experience is a text-based work where Kurt Cobain, Adolf Hitler, Diane Arbus, and the Brothers Grimm meet in a twilight zone. All right. And then there's... (laughs) You go, girl. You go with your your weird. I'm following you. So, so... In the dark. My wife went to art school, and she told me all kinds of stories about how she'd be sitting in some sort of evaluation in art school, and some guy there would always be some entitled white guy who would walk in and be like, "Let me unveil my self-portrait," and it would just be a blank canvas, and he'd be like, "Because I feel so blank inside," and then everyone would like clap, and the uh, the uh, the professor would be like, "A plus," and she'd be like, "Art school's a joke." <laughs> Do you, uh, I know a guy who, who was an architect major and they had juries, you know, where they had to go and. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Okay. And uh, he built a ship, um, like a very ornate, like, sh- like ship with sails mm-hmm. and everything. And the jury was outside and we could go to it. And he he started the, the thing and started pouring kerosene on it and he lit it on fire. Oh, my and Lord. Like, and then and then bailed <laughs> like it was over See, i'm like, out <laughs> there wasn't like questions or just, uh, so that's one way to make an exit i like it i'm on board so it, it, she has two other things i'm gonna quit reading this press release because it's a lot of garbage and it happened over a decade ago but she has two other portions of this installation and the last one is where her and like five friends sit around and smoke a joint filled with kirk Cobain's ashes Uh. people ask her like how did you get them and she's like it's magic and so here's the thing wait what it's magic she didn't say how she acquired them so here's the thing there are rumors i mean i have i have seen in passing where people say like this has been debunked or this was a hoax but as i have researched it i can't find anywhere where there's like a news story that says this is a hoax. Like I just see that like where people are like that's not real. And I've seen where Courtney Love has said there's no way she has ashes. That's ridiculous. But not a reliable narrator, right? So <laughs> it's not like when Courtney Love can't be the end all be all expert or authority on anything. Even her ex-husband's yeah. ashes. So I don't know. I mean, she legitimately did this, and then she legitimately did a follow-up project like six years later where she talked about the effect it had on people and the outcry and how she got like death threats and stuff. So she has milked this for years. And I, I think, from the best I can tell, still says that it was legit and that she did it. So very, very strange story. And it's interesting to me that of all the things that you educate 
me on about Nirvana on a regular basis that you did not know this. No, no. I didn't know about the art exhibit or anything. No, that's totally weird, dude. So I got one more in our Ash exploration okay. today. And that is right. uh, actually going to dovetail with a, with another recent episode of the show where we talked about the Leonard Skinner plane crash. Yeah. So I have found original articles from, I believe it happened in Jacksonville, because I think that's where he is. But basically, Ronnie Van Zant and Steve Gaines are buried together. And at some point in the early 2000s, I want to say maybe in the year 2000, their graves were vandalized and open. Yeah. Now, that's the that stuff's a drag, man. They took his, they took, okay, so Cassie Gaines is in there too. And they took Steve's out of the urn and like ripped the bag while they did it. Now, they've since moved everybody to like an undisclosed location because they obviously don't want people breaking in. Here's the interesting part of this story, though. And this is not in the news article that I found, but I did see some passing references that some people believed. (laughs) I I don't know because I'm not sure they've ever found the guy that did it. But some people believe the whole reason this happened was that someone was trying to uh, like settle a bet or establish whether or not Van Zant had been buried in a Neil Young t-shirt. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. I've heard this. Whether that is true or not, man, that is the thing. Absolutely. And because I always heard that they had trouble with people trying to vandalize their graves in general. But that was the King Daddy. Yeah was he wearing well how weird yeah totally weird totally weird um i mean i'm interested if you if you have heard other stories like this i'm happy to look into them right um and i did come across some stuff that didn't quite qualify for this when i was doing this research that might be other full episodes about really interesting things that involve deaths that have that you know rock and roll deaths and in the aftermath um but if you've heard anything i want you to hit us up uh go to we are the story guys.com send us an email at we are the story guys at gmail.com like lydia in chicago did and we will see what we can't uncover because this is pretty fascinating to me and i think it really gets into the psyche of people who have invested a lot of their time and energy and thought into a certain artist or a certain artist's output, right? That you get so wrapped up in it that you can't, there has to be something more significant about it to you. And it's just so interesting to me. But the idea of putting somebody else's body at, you know, even in microscopic pieces into your own body to like let them live on is a real head trip. I've got a uh, Ashes story. So let's hear it. Uh, he ain't rock and roll, but he certainly knew some people that did. So Farron Young, he was the country oh, yeah. music singer from uh-huh. the 50s and into the 80s. Um, he had Hello Walls was a song he had. If you ain't loving, you ain't living. Oh, so I know like all about I know all about Farron Young because he was a contemporary of early Willie Nelson. And, yeah, in Willie Nelson's right. book, he writes a lot about Fair and Young. So when I read that book, I went back and listened to Hello Walls and all those songs because I was so. I mean, I actually think I made a playlist at one point that was like the Willie Nelson tag along playlist that if you're going to read that book, you should have on in the background because he just brings up so many people in passing, and it's really interesting. Um, but yeah, Fair and Young was definitely one of those people. Yeah, and so he. Um 
in in the late in the nineties he got sick, and so he um, he he'd gotten a divorce. He's by himself, and you know the music industry had kind of bombed out of him too, and so he he committed suicide, oh. and so he so he he died and uh and they he was cremated and he wanted to be cremated in hendersonville at johnny and june carter's uh little farm the little, well, the little spot they got there by old hickory lake so so the family was out there and john and june carter were out there and i get and and so i i heard this story told by johnny cash there was a preacher and they said something and so they spread the ashes and they get in their cars and they start the cars and this big gust of wind like comes up and like Farron Young's ashes like hit Johnny Cash's windshield, oh. like just smack into the windshield. And they thought he was super funny because they're like, well, man, that's yeah, that that's him. That's <laughs> totally, that's totally, you know. And, oh, man. And, and being being something like that happening is is beyond the. uh metaphysical really i mean it's totally weird i mean it also may be a reminder that you need new windshield wipers if you need some inspiration you too could be the hillbilly heartthrob just like farron young oh, the man. great name the yeah. hillbilly heartthrob that's creepy brian thanks yeah i I know we should have done this show closer to halloween but uh thanks for hanging in there with me if you want to get involved always uh like i just said send us an email we are the story guys gmail.com and check us out we are the story guys.com new episode of our other podcast story guys is up now and uh we will be working on uh, tons of other material in the coming days and we appreciate your support what do people have to keep doing buddy if they're going to uh, hang with us keep telling stories Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a Story Guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts, and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com. Copyright 2020. Boy, have we got stories productions. All rights reserved.